would you please turn with me to your study outlines and you'll see behind me uh, how you can access it on your smartphone or on your mobile device and you can see how to do that if you would like to save paper or if not, as you came in, there should have been um, outlines that we got to you and I don't know if we brought the ones from last week, forgive us for not having them last week, but I think they may be out there now if you want to get a hold of that because we didn't have them that last uh, week and so get a hold of that. Now, we've doing this series called Men of Purpose. And here's what we do with this. They're kind of every once in a while, I, I love history. How many of you like history? Okay, that's no big surprise. You're here tonight. You love history and get your history on there. I loved history so much I married a history major. So Kimberly's right here on the front row and she's a history major from Boston University. And so I just love history. And so what we like to do every once in a while is to do um, what, what I call an historical or a biographical biblical message. That is, we look at a follower of Jesus from history and look at how he or she lived their lives biblically in the times in which God placed them. And so uh, we call it Men of Purpose because it's Father's Day night. If this were Mother's Day, we'd call it Women of Purpose. If it was, often I'll do it on Memorial Day weekend. If it was on Memorial Day weekend, I would call it People of Purpose, okay? But because it's Father's Day, we call it Men of Purpose. And tonight we're going to look at a great hero of the faith named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Only died when he was only 39 years old, 1906 to 1945. And we're calling him the anti-Nazi Hitler assassin. And you know, I could have thrown one more in there. He was a spy as well. And so he's a spy. He was an assassin a plotter against Adolf Hitler. He was one of the early ones to stand up against the Nazis. I mean, he was standing up against the Nazis when almost nobody knew that they were as bad as they were going to be. He's the guy that saw it before anybody else saw it. So this is a tremendous man. As Jarrett was praying in his prayer earlier, God, help us in our times. You know, I always pray that when you look at people in history, Lord, help me to see what will be so clear to future generations about our generation and help me to make the right stands in this generation. Help us as a church to take the right stands that future generations will judge us by. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was just simply one of those guys who saw ahead and took a stand for God during difficult times. Now, he's a perfect picture of the balance, the tension that we all face in our Christian lives between obeying the authorities that God has established, that is the government or law enforcement, but there is a higher authority, which is God, and sometimes we're to obey God, even if it means disobeying a lower authority. And that's a tricky thing to figure out where that is. Now, the two passages that we have to live with dynamic tension in the Christian life, first of all, are Romans 13, verses 1 through 5. This is the classic passage on obedience to the government and to law enforcement. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Now, we tend to say, oh, yeah, God didn't know our government, or God didn't know our law enforcement in our time. Oh, my goodness. When Paul wrote this, it was a nasty emperors like Caligula or Nero, and there were these terrible uh, people in, in government, and it was an awful situation. Our situation now is a thousand times better than it was when Paul wrote these words, and yet he said, that we're to be in submission to government authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. 
And by the way, um, we were just uh, talking about uh, Dirk and the others that work in that industry. Boy, I see Paula Lance back here. She's a city councilwoman uh, in Pomona. She's Kimberly and I in our neighborhood, our city councilman. And praise God for her work in government. And that is a great calling. Hollywood's a great calling. Government is a great calling to live for Christ in that context. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. How many of you know what this feeling is like? You're whipping along, uh, say, a country road or, or whatever. Last time I got a ticket, I think, was in Wisconsin, wasn't it? We had just passed uh, from Wisconsin into Michigan, I think. We were doing our cross-country. We, we, Kimberly and I drove with the family the circumference of the United States a few summers back. And uh, I'm whipping along, and, and listen... I am never known for speeding. I am the slowest driver ever. Everybody, all the pastors make fun of me. I am the slowest. Yeah, Greg says amen. Jay says amen. I mean, if I ever drive to lunch, they're all like, move it, move it, move it. It's like, you know, they allow an extra 15 minutes if I'm the guy driving to lunch. And so at any rate, but I just happen to be breaking the speed limit. And you see the police officer hiding in the bushes there just to the side. And there's that moment of terror And if you are going the speed limit, you what? (gasps) I'm okay. But if you're not going the speed limit, what's that feeling? Oh, shucks. All right. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. No terror for those who are driving the speed limit. But for those who are exceeding the speed limit, Jay Walden. Do you want to be free? Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority, Pastor Greg? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Now, that is held in balance with what we find in Acts chapter 4, okay? Uh, We're talking about the last ship. How many of you have been watching AD? Anybody watching AD? And tonight's the grand finale of that program. It's been very well done of the early church and what happened there. And there's that one place, this scene, that's talked about here in Acts chapter 4, where Peter and John stand before the authorities and say, as you see it there in verse 19, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? And so whenever we obey the authorities that are existence, law enforcement, government, until the time comes when they ask us to do something that violates a higher authority, which is our obedience to God. And then we choose God over those authorities. Now, I tell you, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is the one that put this into practice more than anybody to the point where he was involved in a plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler. He so believed in this principle. He was very submissive to government and authority until it became Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. And he obeyed God rather than human authority to the point of involving himself in a plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler. Another thing he's known for is what's called the danger of cheap grace. We use this phrase a lot, and it came from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his writings, in which what cheap grace is is when we say, Oh God, I sinned, sorry, 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 and I go back and do exactly the same thing. Because I know that at the end of the day, I can always go, sorry, 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 and then go do it again. Sorry, 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 do it again. That's what Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. The right response is, God, I broke your heart. I'm so sorry. Thank you for forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Now, with your help, I don't want to do that thing again. 
I may do it again, and when I do, I'll ask for forgiveness, but my heart is to change, to repent, to not cheapen, to not say that God's grace is cheap, but it was expensive. It was bought by the death of Jesus on the cross. And so he's also known in his theological writings for the danger of what he called cheap grace, where you just take it for granted God's going to forgive you rather than taking seriously repentance. Yeah, Bonhoeffer was born in Roklaw, Poland in 1906. He was raised in the Lutheran church. And he was raised, I think we've got a picture, there. there's Roklaw right there. If you've always wondered what Roklaw, uh, and by the way, am I pronouncing that right? I'm probably butchering that. If somebody's Polish is here, please forgive me. Okay. He was born there in 1906. Very prestigious family. I mean, his family were like superstars um, in, in that area at that time. His dad was the most famous uh, psychiatrist of the first half of the 20th century in Germany. So from 1900 to 1950, he was the most famous uh, psychiatrist in Germany at that time. His oldest brother helped Albert Einstein split the atom when he was only 23 years old. How's that for a big brother? How would you like to follow him in school? Oh, you're so-and-so's little brother. Well, you know, his, his brother at the age of 23 helped Albert Einstein to split the atom. And so a very prestigious family. When he was eight years old, World War I started. And his brother Walter was killed in 1917. Um, his mother suffered what we would refer to today as a nervous breakdown because of the death of her child. And it severely, his mom having a nervous breakdown really affected Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And so he decided to pursue a career in theology at the age of 13. Okay, the age of 13, he says, I'm going to uh, pursue a career in theology. Uh, James 1 verse 12 is the, um, his verse for his confirmation. In the Lutheran church, you have confirmation. And his confirmation class verse was really prophetic of his life. This verse that was given to him when he was confirmed in the Lutheran church uh, really almost foretold what his life was going to be. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. He receives his Ph.D. at the unbelievably young age of 21 from Berlin University. Take it over, Pastor Greg. So after receiving his Ph.D., he had a year to spend, nine months, that he came here to the U.S. to study. And while he was there in New York, he befriended someone named Frank Fisher. He was an African-American from Alabama. And Fisher invited Bonhoeffer to come with him to the uh, black church that he was a part of there in Harlem. It was actually the largest church in the U.S. at that time. And at, when Bonhoeffer went there, it changed him uh, forever. Because when he went there, he experienced something he'd never experienced in church before. Instead of going someplace where people were, were, were doing church or going to church or going through the motions, people were, he, he felt like the first time he was experienced being the church. That the people, as he went there for worship, uh, they took their faith seriously. And for most of the people, their life was so difficult. And their God was so real and personal that when he went into worship, when they sang, there was just a power to it. And, and the, the preaching was uh, from Adam Clayton Powell, the pastor there. And he exhorted the hearers to have a, that genuine relationship with Christ, but also that that would show itself in, in actions and in deeds that would uh, pour forth from there. In James chapter 2, verse 14, we read, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. 
If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by actions, is dead. And so this is what, he's, what he heard preached and he saw in the people as they cared for the poor and they did uh, life together and they, they were the church for those who were in need. And so Bonhoeffer uh, observed and experienced faith in action there in the church. It must have been quite a sight for nine months if you uh, see that picture. Maybe you could put the picture up again of, of Bonhoeffer. But this uh, bespectacled uh, uh, German uh, academic there in the midst of engaged in this uh, Harlem uh, black church. And he was fully engaged in the life of the church. Uh, he taught a class. And he got involved in the budding civil rights uh, movement uh, there in the church. And that time, as he uh, lived with that church, began to prepare him uh, for what he would face, what nobody imagined he would face when he went back to Germany and the oppression of the Jews that were fa- was faced there. And so that, that nine months, he spent nine months there living in that church, uh, had a profound effect on him. And, and as he returned to Germany in 1931, it was clear that he was changed, that he uh, came back a different person, and his teaching changed uh, when he came back. And so he began teaching theology at Berlin University. And uh, as he did that, he taught an emphasis in his teaching that was very different from all the rest of the Berlin theological circles that he was uh, working in. His emphasis was on experiencing God through, through uh, prayer and, and through the Bible. Uh, it, was a, it was Bonhoeffer that referred to the Bible as the Word of God. Now, that's something that's kind of common for us, but nobody referred to the Bible as the Word of God at that time. And, and he had that sense that, that uh, he, he, when he taught uh, that God was a real and alive and his Word was, was alive. Hebrews 4.12, we read, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Bonhoeffer taught that the, the, the Bible was alive. God's word was alive. And the whole reason for studying it, instead of being a, a theological or philosophical uh, art exercise or argument, was for to, to hear and see the heart of God that was behind the text. He also um, you know, taught that the, the relationship with God was very personal and real, and he took uh, students on uh, retreats to teach them how to pray. He had the, all those experiences with those students, and uh, bon, just as Bonhoeffer had changed in that time that he went away from Germany, so had Germany. And during that time, even just during those short months, uh, the Nazi political party was rising in, in political power. And so uh, his teaching in, in his classes, uh, he taught things like, he, he said to them, for German Christians, there can be only one Savior. That Savior is Jesus Christ, not Hitler. And he began to, to teach against the, the evils that were there. Hitler had presented himself as this man of moderation and, and peace, and, and he talked about following the, God's will for the German people, and he promised to lead Germany out of the, the defeat that they'd had in World War I and out of the depression that they were in and all those things. And, and he fed the people this uh, idea that they had lost World War I by, because of the, they were betrayed from within by the, the communists uh, and the socialists and the, the Jews. And so he, he told them that they needed to uh, purge all of Germany of them. And so the average German was, was really uh, willing to go along with it. They, they felt like you know, nothing could be worse 
Little did they know. Nothing could be worse than, than what we're experiencing, and so they just went along with it. But Bonhoeffer was one of the very few people who recognized what was taking place, and he, he spoke out about it, and he taught about it uh, in, his, uh, in his role as a teacher and as a pastor. He took a stand against evil. Isaiah 5, verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And Romans 12, 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. And that's what Bonhoeffer did. Uh, just two days after Hitler was, had became the chancellor in 1933, Bonhoeffer gave a famous speech on the radio attacking the so-called Fuhrer principle. And most Germans had no idea how much Hitler despised Christianity. Uh, he, he felt like Christianity was, was weak and he wanted to rid the German people of Christianity, but there's no way he could express those beliefs publicly because almost all of, of uh, Germany considered themselves to be Lutheran Christians. And so if he spoke out and expressed what he really believed, it would have uh, eroded his political power. And so instead, his, his goal was to slowly infiltrate the church and to infiltrate the church and then to, to, to take it over from within. And so what he did is he, he unified all the, the German church to make a state church and to uh, have that church answer to him. And so uh, as this took place, um, it took place just small, one small step at a time so that they didn't really notice until it was too late. Bonhoeffer tried in every way to wake up the church of what was happening, uh, especially in regards to the treatment of Jews. After years of trying, Bonhoeffer led a number of pastors to break away from the, the now Nazified church and to create their own church, and it became known as the Confessing Church, which seemed like a, a victory to the Christians in Germany, those uh, strong Christians, to, to have a church that, that they really taught uh, God's word and, and were uh, following after Christ. But Bonhoeffer knew that if even the confessing church and all the Christians in Germany didn't recognize the evil that was coming and that was there, if they didn't uh, do everything they could to eradicate it, that it was all for naught. And Martin Niemöller, who was Bonhoeffer's friend and colleague in the confessing church leadership, was someone who saw what was happening, but he saw it too late. And he wrote these, this famous statement. First they came for the socialist, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. Although he was, Bonhoeffer was a lone voice, it seemed like, and, and when reading his words and reading about his bi biography, it sounds like this man who, who stood alone against the evils of, of, the, of the Nazis. But that wasn't true. Uh, in no way was Bonhoeffer a, a lone ranger Christian. He believed in, in living uh, his life of faith out in community, and he was dedicated to it and intentional about it. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, we read, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. In Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. 
And so Bonhoeffer was intentional in the midst of all the battles that were going on and his teaching and his, his pursuit of uh, his career. He was intentional about living uh, that, his life of faith in community, connected with other believers. And so in 1935, he led an illegal uh, movement uh, to bring together young leaders, Christian leaders. And what they did is they lived in community. They, they lived together 24-7 and they, they, they prayed together and, and were under teaching and, and challenged each other and encouraged each other and supported each other. And he, he taught these young Christian leaders. And this is the time what is known as the, the golden age of Bonhoeffer. And he writes about it later in the book uh, called Life Together. The, and eventually the Gestapo found out about it and they shut down this whole discipleship community that was going on. But he, he tried to continue. He did it underground. He continued uh, gathering together in, in secret ways. And then finally they shut that down as well. The Nazis forbid him from teaching or speaking publicly, and finally they, present, they prevented him from publishing anything because he published a book on the Psalms, and they were trying to purge everything in Germany of anything to do with Judaism, and so all of the Old Testament was off limits. And so in 1938, when the, the war was on the horizon, uh, he recognized he had this dilemma because he knew that he couldn't fight in Hitler's army. And at the same time, as a leader in the confessing church, there's no way that he could speak out against uh, fighting in the army because that would have a, a negative effect on the whole confessing church movement. And so he, in 1939, he, he got a way out. Uh, he was extended an invitation to teach at Union Theological Seminary, and so he sailed to the U.S. And uh, no lo- just, just after he got on that ship and they, they embarked for the U.S., he started feeling unsettled about the decision. He felt like he was supposed to stay and, and stay there with his people. And so uh, just 26 days after he arrived in the U.S., he got back on the ship and came back to Germany, uh, much to the chagrin of all the people who'd sent him off to safety. Uh, he came back, and uh, as, as he came back, uh, he returned and he took a stand in a different way, as, as Glenn alluded to earlier. Uh, he took a stand against the evil of Hitler and the Nazis, as his, uh, with a family connection, he became a German intelligent, military intelligent officer, an agent, uh, which was actually a group of people that were working as double agents to conspire against Hitler. And Glenn has the rest of the story. The grand finale. Here we go. Bonhoeffer gets engaged to Maria von Wiedenmeyer in the spring of 1943. He's 36 years old. She's 18. You know, they all thought it was sketchy that Kimberly was five years younger than me in Homer. And we always make jokes about that, that when she was 17, I was 22, and we do that. Yeah, it kind of grosses out the kids whenever we do that. But he, this, she was 18 years younger, and he actually knew her when she was 12 years old and didn't notice her. She was just a little kid. But he comes back six years later. She's 18. He's 36, and he's like, hey, there's that girl that you stare at around here. And so they fall in love. Um, they're going to get it. They got engaged in the spring of 1943, but just a matter of days after they make their engagement public, in April of 18, 1943, he's arrested at his parents' home in Berlin for his involvement in a plan to save the lives of 14 Jews by smuggling them out of the country to Switzerland. So, just a matter of days after he finally gets engaged to the love of his life. He gets taken away uh, by the Gestapo because of his involvement in this plan to save some Jews. He's imprisoned at the Tegel Military Prison. I think we have a picture of that, where he writes a famous book of his called Letters and Papers from Prison. 
On July 20th, 1944, the Valkyrie assassination attempt on Hitler fails. And he is connected with that assassination attempt. And so then everything is going to go south for him while he's in prison. He's just in prison for something relatively minor compared to an assassination attempt on Hitler, which is smuggling Jews out of the country. But now he's connected with this assassination plot, which almost succeeded but failed at the last minute. In October of 1944, he's transferred to the Gestapo's underground high-security prison, but is moved to Buchenwald concentration camp in February of 1945 uh, due to the bombing of Berlin by Allied warplanes. He's executed at the Flossenburg concentration camp on the direct orders of Hitler on April 9, 1945. And here's the So tragic part, two weeks before the Allies liberated his camp and three weeks before Hitler's suicide and the end of World War II. Now you say, oh my goodness, what a tragic life. And Bonhoeffer would say, absolutely not. Through our eyes, through human eyes, it seems tragic. But through heaven's eyes, he fulfilled the purpose for which God had called him and then he goes home to heaven. What a better way to finish your life than that? He actually did a sermon on death back in 1933 in which he said these words. No one has yet believed in God and the kingdom of God. No one has yet heard about the realm of the resurrected and not been homesick from that hour, waiting and looking forward to being released from bodily existence. How do we know that dying is so dreadful? Who knows whether in our human fear and anguish We are only shivering and shuddering at the most glorious, heavenly, blessed event in the world. Aren't those beautiful words? Maybe we dread death, and we shouldn't dread death. Maybe we are shivering in fear about something that is going to usher us into the most wonderful event in the world. Death is hell and night and cold if it is not transformed by our faith. But that is just what is so marvelous that we can transform death. Anybody want to say amen to that? Uh, Bonhoeffer, probably his most famous book, is The Cost of Discipleship, in which he says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. It reminds me of the final words of Paul, and when he was in prison, before his execution by Nero, the Roman emperor, he says, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I just want to close with this one last clip, which is from the Bonhoeffer movie. And it goes back before his death, obviously, and shows him ministering to the guy in the next cell, his cell, the guy on the other wall from him in the cell there uh, prior to his death and how even in prison, Bonhoeffer saw it as an opportunity to minister the love and the presence of Jesus wherever uh, he found himself. Let's stand to close in prayer. And just a reminder, root beer, dad's root beer for the guys, all men, young boys, in between. Okay, uh, root beer floats for everybody. But let's just close with this. Lord, I pray that you would help us to figure out 
where we should take our stands like Bonhoeffer in our generation. And then to be faithful to those stands as he was faithful in his generation with the hope of heaven ahead of us. Help us to run faithfully the race you have set before us. And we ask it in Jesus' name and all God's family said. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great night.